Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. Powered by Leadership Choices. And at that point now, I've seen like the worst parts of capitalism. I've seen just deceit and lies and selling things to people that don't need them. I've seen you know, closing an office and laying off people for really no reason and then cutting their wages when they come to work for you, like, because they have no other, like, and I'm just like, business is terrible. Like, this is, capitalism's awful. There's something very valuable in in falling really hard um, and having lofty ambitions and having to fall that hard and still remain focused on what you want out of life and remain focused on the goals you have and kind of like give yourself some time to feel some pity, but also kind of get back on the horse and go again. And also to be the the guy that's in charge of everything that we stand for and, and kind of making sure that we're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Welcome to Leaders Talk, the interview podcast for better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. My name is Carsten Draht, and I'm one of the managing partners of Leadership Choices. Our guest today is a very interesting personality. He's our first guest from the United States of America. He comes from Georgia. He has German origins, but all of that is interesting, but not interesting enough for Leaders Talk. He is the champion of a uh, B Corp certification process in his company, which happens to be a Salesforce consultancy. Now, we want to understand what is B Corp? How how is it connected to corporate social responsibility? How is it connected to conscious capitalism? And also, how is it connected to Nathan's quest for purpose in life, which he was searching for over 10 years in different positions in different corners of the business world, and he finally seems to have found it. And he will walk us through this, how this um, kind of feeling of something is right, something is not right, something is missing, I'm missing the respect for people, I'm missing the respect for my work, how this kind of informed his search, his changes, his further developments, his learnings, his stints in different parts of different industries to finally arrive at a place where he says in this pro bono work to help for-profit businesses to become more conscious when they do their business so that they do business for good, uh, that this is something that is almost like calling that he has found. So let's get right into the discussion, into the interview with Nathan Stuck. I hope you have some good insights. By the way, I always love to hear from you. If you want to share your thoughts with me, please write me an email, karsten.dreth at leadershipchoices.com. And now, right to the conversation with Nathan. A very warm welcome to Nathan Stuck. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karsten. Excited to be here. Excited to uh, chat today. Always exciting uh, to, to come back to Germany, virtually, yeah. even, if it, even if it's virtually. You have a German... Uh, Touched to your biography, and we will go to that. But first of all, um, you are our first U.S. American guest to the podcast Leaders Talk. So, 
that's a premiere. That's great. That's great. And um, you have, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation with you. Um, a, because you're a very, very interesting person, inspiring person. And there is something around B Corp that you do a lot of. Maybe you can walk us through what you do for a living, but also what B Corp is so that we can picture that, Nathan. Yeah, so uh, I'm the director of culture and strategic impact for a certified B Corp in Atlanta, Georgia. So we do Salesforce consulting. So not a traditional like social enterprise, as many would think of with B Corps, just a regular boring old IT consulting business. Um, and I actually met them while I was doing my MBA and they wanted to certify as a B Corp. So I signed up for that project with no idea of what a B Corp was and kind of fell in love with the process. And, and we'll get into more of the backstory, but had burned out on whatever you want to call it. Traditional capitalism had just burned out. I've always loved business and suddenly I'm in, I'm disgusted by it. And I get my MBA because I don't know what else to do um, at that point of my career. And B, this B Corp project shows up and I'm like enamored with like, this is capitalism, but it's capitalism with guardrails. It's, you know, it's being transparent. It's taking care of your workers. It's quantifying things like pay multiplier between top and bottom, you know, lowest paid employee. It's, it's what type of benefits it's community impact and quantifying community impact. What percentage of revenue do you donate? I feel like every company I've worked for, we've had a mission, but I've never known like what is the mission? What is our commitment to the community? What is our you know, commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion? Like, I don't know. And this, this process forced you to quantify all these things environmentally too. You know, greenhouse gas emissions. What was your power bill? Do you have reduction targets set? Like, no, I don't know. We just pay the power bill every month. And like thinking so intentionally about these different areas of the business was, was, I mean, it was a cool, I did a lot of experiential projects. You saw my CV, like I, I did a lot of experiential, you know, consulting projects, internships during my MBA. And this was far and away the best one. And I went to work for them and it's been, we scaled from eight to 150 and it's been a fun little case study to be a part of, and also to be the, the guy that's in charge of everything that we stand for and, and kind of making sure that we're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. So when you did your MBA, um, there was an opportunity that came along saying, hey, we're just in this process of wanting to get certified as a B Corp, as a B Corporation. Do you want to join? Do you want to join the right kind of? I mean, you were new to this topic. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. we had, uh, there were four of us that went to that meeting and I don't think any of us knew what a B Corp was. I mean, at that point in Georgia, I think there were only like six. So it was like, why would we have known? And um, yeah, we just, I don't know, the, the boss seemed very charismatic, the CEO and his wife was really nice and we're just sitting there and somebody had worked on a project years ago, an, an alumnus, she came down and kind of gave us an overview and it just, yeah, it just seemed right. And the old like fake it till you make it. I was like, yeah, we've got this project. We've, we've got it, you know, like, okay, Google, what is a B Corp? <laughs> Take it till you make it. Okay, great. So let's take it slow and assume that nobody in the audience knows what a B Corp is because we've figured out that there's only 40 certified B Corps in Germany. Um, one of the bigger brands would be Danone Waters, Simpertex, the clothes manufacturer, and Ecosia, which is an alternative search engine 
planting trees as a business model um, with the money for commercials. But so it's a very, very small movement, but it is part of a bigger movement, which has different organizations. There is in Germany, there's the so-called Gemeinwohlökonomie, which is a which is a national thing, but it's pretty much the same direction as B Corp. But why B Corp? There is a certification process behind. It is for for-profit businesses, and you already um, kind of laid out a little bit what it all entails. But if I'm in, if I'm if I'm an entrepreneur and I want to get my company to be more committed to corporate social responsibility, to purpose, and I want to commit to certain targets, not just put them as marketing slogans on my website. How does the process look like? Yeah. I mean, well, and the good thing is it's not easy. I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing because some, I think some business owners are overwhelmed by it. Um, it's, it's a rather rigorous, extensive, whatever you want to call it, long um, process because you do, you have to sit there and you have to quantify everything. You have to really, like, if you didn't track how many volunteer hours you did last year, if you didn't track, you know, pro bono, like we do pro bono consulting, Obviously, for us, we have consultants. They're tracking their time, so their time goes somewhere. So we can export reports. It was a little bit easier for us, but yeah, it's it's not an easy process. I mean, it took us over two years to from start to actual certification. But it is. It's the only one, and we're members of other organizations. And I won't say anything bad about those because I think all of them have their part in the ecosystem. But nobody has ever come to me like pledge one percent is one of them, and that's our formal commitment. And we actually do two, a combined two percent of revenue and pro bono or product or whatever you want to call it. And but nobody's ever come and said like open your books and prove it, or take that logo off your website. Like nobody ever has. Like you can fill out the commitment, and so it's. I think most companies that are going through that process probably have good intentions, but the difference with B Corp is like you actually have to prove it. You go through an audit. So you fill out this whole assessment. There's 200 possible points. You have to, it's so hard. You only have to get to 80 to certify. But once you get to 80 and you submit and you amend some of your, your legal articles of incorporation, making sure that you have stakeholder governance in there, then you get an audit. They come B-Lab, the nonprofit, the parent nonprofit comes in and schedules an audit with you. And they basically go through question by question, like, okay, prove it. Okay, prove it. Okay, prove it. Um, and then once you get past your audit, you get certified. And then the fun part is you do a little bit of a celebration and then you realize, okay, A, we need to continue to track these things, but now you have systems in place to track them. B, we need to improve these things. And then C, in three years, we have to recertify. So basically in two years, we have to start working on our recertification. So you can't just get it and kind of go like, yeah, cool. Put the logo on the website. We're done. Uh, you have to kind of continue to do all these things you said that you did and that you valued and that you were going to continue to do. Like for us, a good example that the first time we did the assessment, you know, do you have an annual impact report and what's in it and who do you share it with? And so I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Checking all these boxes. And I remember our CEO was like, we don't have an annual impact report. I was like, not yet. So that year, you know, come like November, I'm like, all right, I better get working on this annual impact report. So that was the first year that we did one and, and everything we said we were going to put into it, we put into it. And I literally just finished last year's annual impact report last week and marketing has it and they'll make it all, you know, pretty graphs and everything. But those are the types of things that it was like, okay, we need to, you know, and then you're also identifying the KPIs that go into that. So, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion numbers, you know, what percentage of managers were, you know, were from different underrepresented groups, what, what percent of promotions, you know, who did we support in the community? How many hours did we volunteer? What was our revenue? So all those things now you kind of, 
just like you would measure like year over year sales growth and we're going to go revenue by 20% next quarter. You know, like those, we, we look at them the same way. And I think that's the beauty of it because you have to certify, you have to prove it. And it's the only thing out there like that. And in the era of greenwashing where, I mean, especially now in the last two years, everybody is, is about some cause in the environment and you watch, you know, especially on American TV, like commercials, and it's it's a it's it's a, a much more representative um, dynamic that they're presenting, and uh, from everything from LGBTQ to, to to you know people of color, like there's every the commercials are much more diverse now, and you're sitting there wondering like, do these people actually care, or does marketing just know they have to do this? Um, like the old greenwashing, the original meaning of greenwashing, like the whole with hotels, like don't throw your towel if you want it, if you care about the environment, you'll hang your towel back up. And I don't know, it saved energy, it saved water. So like, there's this weird kind of complex with greenwashing that I can go down on a different topic, but I think everybody's doing it. And I also think the difference now is Gen Z. Uh, millennials were kind of skeptical. And then Gen Z showed up and was like, Mm-mm, not buying it. And so, and and I think the difference is that they will very quickly call out a brand that seems unauthentic that just seems like they're just they know they have to do it but and they'll go and they'll find publicly available data on your company and call you out so i think that's kind of fueling this a little bit too is is not necessarily a fear of being called out but also a desire by some of these business owners who are really doing it who are probably resenting some of the greenwashing to stand out and to separate themselves from the competition say like, no, 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 we're really about this. Like they say they are, but they're not willing to put the work in to actually do the work. So um, I think, I think that's some of it. That was a long winded answer, but. No, that's fine. So the idea is if I understand you correctly. So this notion from Cotter, uh, a people planet profit, um, the idea behind CSR. So do, do profit, but also do good um, that this is becoming operationalized with a with a framework that is kind of holistic that is measurable um and which has a clear process to it um so that it is protecting those who have achieved it that they really differentiate them differentiate themselves from the the majority of organizations who just use it as a marketing trend this entire purpose thing so it's i like the rigor about it can you walk us through, you mentioned some of it, but can you walk us through the dimensions of these? I mean, we started, I started looking into it and I was like, holy cow, I don't even understand the words sometimes. So it's like, it's some, is very American specialty terms. So it's, if you're not a, a native speaker, um, some things just don't seem to make sense. So, but what are the dimensions? Maybe let's start there. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's five different sections and I will agree with you. There's certain times where I'm still like mm, clicking the learn more button. And I've probably worked on 20 to 25 of these now. Um, and I'm still like, wait, what does that mean? Um, so, and we've actually had conversations with B-Lab. I'm like, you're using vocabulary that that's, that 75% of the country doesn't know what you're talking about. Um, so you need to bring it back in a little bit more mainstream. But yeah, there's there's five sections of the assessment. So there's corporate governance, which is a lot about transparency. It's do, you know, do you have a board of uh, directors? You know, what's your corporate structure look like? Do you have have you adopted stakeholder you know legal stakeholder governance so that you can 
you know, do away with Milton Friedman's shareholder primacy, um, which is the kind of existing legal framework, at least in the US for most businesses, is that you exist to serve your shareholders and that's it. So that's the governance section that you get into the worker section. It's a lot about benefits. So obviously like a service company like us doing consulting and especially in the IT space, it's super competitive. We score really high in the worker section. We pay really well. We have, we have to have, we have really good benefits, but we also had a 401k when we had like 15 employees, which is pretty rare. Um, 401k, I mean, anything, can you explain? Uh, sorry, like a retirement account, like a work sponsored retirement account that work also contributes to. Um, so we had, you know, we had that very early on. So, but a lot of those, even, but also things like I mentioned earlier, like the pay multiplier, like, you know, you see a lot of times where the CEO makes, you know, 60 million a year and the lowest paid workers making, you know, $8 an hour um, versus for us, I think we're in the one to five X as far as pay multiplier from our CEO down. So, um, so that's the worker section. It's a lot of just, you know, how well do you treat your workers, you know, and, and, and it'll even go as far as like part-time workers, contractors, do you have, what benefits do you have for part-time employees? You know, do you pay a living wage? Do you pay a family living wage? Uh, and then you get into the community. The community uh, section has a lot of your, you know, your obviously your volunteerism, your financial contributions, your donated products and services, your, um, but it also has all the diversity, equity, inclusion pieces as well. So, you know, it, it has definitely helped us think more intentionally about how we hire. Um, I think you meet a lot of business owners and I know I have in my kind of my, my B Corp certification work that you meet a lot of business owners who they want to do better. They want to hire more diversity. I mean, it's all the data shows, you know, get more women on the team, get more people. Call, every it, it helps the team perform better. And a lot of people still don't know where, where do I look? How, and it's, sometimes it's as simple as I, and I'm breaking myself with a habit. It's as simple as an Ecosia search, not a Google search um, to, to figure out that, you know, there is a, you know, a society of black financial advisors or, you know, where like, and there's job postings and you can, you could post your job. So like getting people to just think a little bit more intentionally, I think that's the good part about that community section. You start, you say you care about gender equality. You say you care about the, you know, the pay gap and, and then you, you have to quantify it. Mm. So you're going to, you're going to probably, I'd say 90% of business owners probably take a really long, hard look in the mirror when they, when they finish that section of like, Huh. We thought we cared. Even for us, five years ago, we were seventy-five percent white male, and now we're like forty-six percent. But that was it was like, oh, ooh, that's not good. Mm-hmm. And we had to break ourselves of the old like it is IT, and that's what it looks like. That's who works in this industry. It's white guys, and it's like, but it isn't. So let's let's change that. Mm-hmm. So that's the community section and, and the beauty behind it. Uh, environmental is another one. So you'll tend to see manufacturing firms score higher because they have a bigger supply chain that they can influence, but it's everything from, you know, um, are you purchasing more local supplies to, you know, to, to limit the, the carbon footprint of your supply chain? Uh, are you tracking your power? Do you have reduction targets? Um, are you offsetting your carbon credits um, or offsetting your carbon credits, offsetting your carbon footprint, all those. And then is it scope one and two? Is it scope three as well? Like all these different things. And for us, we, you know, we looked at it like, I don't know where we, this is my supply chain. I'm on a MacBook. Like that's, that's it. And then we started looking at, okay, well, we have business travel, we have car rentals, we have hotel stays, like, 
we do have a carbon footprint, even though we're not making anything. We don't have, you know, we're not really going to divert anything from the landfill, but we have a carbon. So we did that last year as we were and recertifying. Nathan, you mentioned yeah. scopes. So scope one, this is your employees. Is that right? Scope yeah. two would be your employees and then your supply chain, your suppliers. And then scope three would be the suppliers of your suppliers. Is that fair to say? Scope three, scope one and two, I usually define as is more essential business operations. So your office, your employees, um, home offices. And then scope three is kind of like, at least for us, and I will never claim to be a sustainability expert because that's a whole nother universe. But scope three for us then gets into like, I don't want to say non-essential business, but like for us, it's the flights, it's the car rent, it's the travel, um, the other thing. So I, I I can't really speak as an expert on like a manufacturing side, but for us as a service-based industry, scope one and two is just kind of essential business, what we need to run day to day. And then scope three gets into a lot more of the, the ancillary travel and things like that. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I just wanted to make that clear. Well, that's, that's a great question. I mean, it was one of those things. And I, it's funny this year, I actually did our calculations because I wanted to learn how to do those calculations. So like literally, and now with the internet, let's be honest, we can all become an expert or at least well-versed in things. So it was, I have every flight we took as a company and I, you know, we can, and some of it, you're also just doing like, okay. And we can, let's say they probably average 50 miles of travel in that city. And that was how many nights in a hotel, the average night in one hotel room is this much, you know, these many kilograms um, of, of CO2. And so you, you, you're, I don't want to say it's an exact science, but you're a lot of times you're using assumptions to at least come up with a number. Um, and we won't talk, we can talk offline. We'll talk another time about, you know, carbon credits. And I, I know there's a whole, like, are these, you know, do they do anything, but, I look at it as 10 years ago, nobody knew what a carbon credit was. So at least we're, we're moving in that, we're moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then the last section is customers. So just things like data privacy. Um, you know, we don't have uh, the GD, what is it, GDPR uh, compliance things that, that the EU has, but that's one of the questions. Have you adopted that? Even if you're an American company, have you adopted those policies? Um, you know, what are you using your data for? Are you telling your, your clients, your website visitors, what you're using their data for? Do you sell data? So all those types of questions, basically like, are you ethical um, in the way you conduct your business, um, at least customer facing? Do you have customer success? Do you have guarantees? Do you have, you know, those types of things going to the customer section. So those are the five key sections, governance, workers, community environment and governance um but yeah all of them all of them force you through that exercise i think of of really assessing and quantifying how your actions match up to your values or what you said were your values that's the yeah beauty. and wh what i like about it is it's it's kind of holistic right i mean there's for example there's an organization leaders for climate action which is great but it just focuses on climate action uh and 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 activism around that and then there's diversity equity and inclusion and there's other things but here it's like incorporated in one which also makes it a lot of work so we are still as a company contemplating can we actually pull this off um because you also don't want to be certified and then you don't have the energy to get recertified i mean you need to be able to sustain this effort it also sounds like you need systems to track right i mean you need to i mean if you do this by excel that's maybe okay for the first one, but that's not sustainable going forward, right? So is that, are you using special software to track all these um, different KPIs? 
Yeah. So, um, and honestly, for the longest time, it, it, it's funny you use the Excel example because, yeah, I mean, for a long time, I kept a, a, a master spreadsheet and I knew every employee by, you know, gender, demographic, age. I had everything I had average, you know, and I so through that, I tracked average tenure all time by different demographics, average turnover. Uh, retention rates, all those things, and and now because we have a we have a an, a PEO, a professional employment organization, it's basically outsourced HR mm-hmm. uh, for all the just the day to day HR stuff that people think I do, but I don't. Um, I'm culture, not HR. Um, all, so so they actually have software, so I got connected with them. So now I'm going to be able to start. I'm going to be able to run reports that are. As data gets, otherwise I have to manually go in, like we have a new employee. I have to go into that spreadsheet and manually answer them because it's all, you know, static from when you exported. So it's not the most efficient. If you have somebody that can do this full-time, depending on the size, when we were smaller, this was a part-time role for me. And I, I was, I literally ran our operations for the first two, three years I worked here. And I was doing culture and impact and all these like B Corp KPIs on the side. And then as we've grown, it became too much. And so I hired an operations person. I, I trained him for a year and then I kind of threw him in. Actually, it was two years. Um, and then now he runs that and I don't I don't have anything to do with our operations. But I, that background for me helped me set a lot of these things up of like, again, we have time tracking through Salesforce because that's how we bill our clients. So, but when they volunteer, I still have to remind people like, hey, when you volunteer, log your volunteer time. You know, and there's different ways to log if it was volunteer time off, if it was just, you know, me, I'm on a board. I went to a meeting that was one hour of volunteer time. Um, pro bono work, making sure it's all set up the right way. But even when, I, when I've when i worked with companies, you know, <clears throat> projects my students are working on, sometimes if they're small, I'm like, you don't need anything yet. Like you could honestly have a Google sheet. Like our, our employee travel is through a Google sheet that our executive assistant manages and she books all the travel. And that's just part of her checklist. She just enters it. So, uh, you know, I, I advise people that it's, 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 you can do it. You can do it manually to a point. If you're, mm-hmm. you know, if you're less than 25 employees, you can probably do it manually. There's just a lot of education. Somebody has to at least be keeping, you know, once a quarter, I go in and go like, okay, how many hours have we volunteered this year? Um, making sure we're on trend. So as long as somebody's kind of routinely checking in on it and then going, Hey, Carson, like the team, we haven't done anything in the community yet. Like we're right. way behind where we need to be. And then you get to drop the CEO hammer and say, Hey, let's go. <laughs> we're doing something next Saturday. Um, which for me has always been, even this weekend, we have a volunteer event and getting the CEO now where I'm like only five people have signed up. Um, and I know that he'll go like kind of lean on some people uh, <laughs> to come volunteer <laughs> with us. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably the toughest part is tracking it and maintaining it. But if you have somebody passionate about it, they can manage that piece for you and you give them, I don't want to say the authority, but you give, you empower them to, to herd cats or whatever, to, to, to kind of push the team in that direction. And, you know, it comes back to implementation. How well did you implement your B Corp certification? Did you get your employees excited about it? Are they bought in? And, and if you did that well, which is a struggle, it was, we didn't. It took us like a year till anybody knew what a B Corp was, except our CEO and me. If you do that well, though, I think you get excitement and you get people to understand what what it is it means to work for a B Corp, what it means that we stand for, what we're doing, what our actions mean. And I think it gets people a little bit more excited. You know, our top volunteer last year volunteered like 265 hours. 
you know, so it's like we we've and 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 that feeds into a you know your recruiting. It feeds into who wants to work for you. It feeds into the customers you're doing business with. It feeds into the vendors that you're going to buy from. And so, like that 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 true implementation, I think, will overcome maybe some technological shortcomings, or maybe just doesn't justify you know like Salesforce licenses to track time, mm-hmm. so you can track volunteering. Like you can still get away with a Google Sheet. Okay, and Nathan, when when you start this process, what I understand is you need like a champion who oversees, like a project manager who oversees and he, who is passionate and so and bought into the mission or to the vision of it. Um, but what do you do when you hit a wall, when you can't answer a question, when you are uns- you don't want to say something false, but you simply don't get what they mean? I mean, that was the problem when when I looked looked through this. Uh, who is is there a buddy, a mentor that kind of walks you through, or do you have to pay a consultant? How is that working? Uh, you see me laugh when you ask if you have to pay a consultant. I'm like, well, you can. Um, <laughs> I know some people. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that can be the overwhelming part uh, sometimes is, is, yeah, what what do you do when you hit that question that you don't know? Uh, I usually will advise, you know, if you're still getting to a point where you're, you know, above, let's just say you get to 83 and you have that question that you're unsure of either i usually say if you think if you think your assumption is i think we get those points i, I if i'm understanding correctly we do this i always say click it and make b lab tell you you're wrong um, when you get to that audit process make b lab tell you now if you're completely unsure and you have no idea flag it for review click do not track or you know click the zero point answer and then when you get to the audit part of the process you know have that kind of question out and be like by the way we had this one do we qualify for those points um now if you're at 79 and you can't get into the audit queue because you haven't hit 80 then i would say click the points and then make them tell you otherwise and the other options i would say are and i don't know i should i was just saying i was like i don't know if any universities are are working on B Corp projects in Germany. Um, but part of my role with B Academics will be to hopefully help bring that there. Um, I know in the States, I say, you know, there's plenty of, you know, in just in my state of Georgia, we have the University of Georgia, we have Emory, and we have uh, a new university kicking off B Corp curriculum next Friday. So we have kind of an ecosystem that companies can bring their projects. Now, working with students might move a little bit slower. It's a really cool opportunity for the students to be able to work mm-hmm. on B Corp projects. And at least most of them won't work for B Corps, but at least they get an understanding of what, what goes into it. So wherever they go, they can be a change maker. Um, then the other option, though, if you want to move a little bit faster is, is, is the consulting piece, especially for a smaller business. You're maybe looking, if you have a dedicated project champion, you're maybe looking somewhere in like the 30 to 60 hours of consulting. So, you know, you're probably looking at spending, I don't know, five to $12,000, which in the, in the scheme of, of hiring a consultant is not a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially not when you compare it to Salesforce implementation yeah. or something like that, right? <laughs> yes. Actually, talking about Salesforce, I mean, we had Ulrich Nehammer on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. He used to be the CEO of Salesforce in Asia Pacific in Australia. And he was, you know, talking about the spirit, the culture of Salesforce, Mark Benioff and the one, one, one rule and all the different Ohana things. So I wonder, is this 
is this culture, Salesforce, Mark Benioff, Trailblazer, all that stuff, has that kind of filtered down to a Salesforce consultancy? I mean, got your, is your CEO being influenced by Mark, do you think? Uh, I think, I think, yes. Um, I mean, I love Benioff. I always call him Benioff. Like I'm old pals with him or something like, you know, we go to Stamtisch together or something. Um, but Benioff, it, he uses his, the power, he uses that mark, you know, like you see a lot of companies like Amazon, you know, and they kind of use it in, you know, some of the food delivery service, you know, they use it to kind of like pound the little guy into compliance um, or to just, Hey, like it is what it is. And we're only going to pay you 20% and you take it or leave it, or you don't sell anything. So you see a lot of companies, big companies wield their power like that. And I, I've seen Salesforce wield their power to get people on board to do better. You know, like even the carbon neutral thing last year, we did that in January, February, we did it right after our recertification. I started looking at like, how do we improve our score in 2024? And I just started working on it and I went carbon neutral is really easy. And I had a, a good friend who referred me to a nonprofit that could help. And like two months later, Salesforce comes out and says, all partners are going to be required to go carbon neutral. And we can audit you at any point. Scopes one and two, you get three months. Scopes three, you get 12 months. Be ready for it. And if you if you aren't and you can't prove it, you can't get it done in that time, you, we, you're not going to get any more business from us. And I'm like, and you can look at that as bullying, but I'm like, it's bullying people to like, care about right if you want to do business with us you're going to live by our values and i at least think it's pretty cool and um i mean even this the volunteer event i told you about it was supposed to be in march but salesforce had some employees that wanted to their their quarter ends sunday ends the end of january so they're they had employees who wanted to come out and they, they needed a volunteer event And so some regional vice president or something reached out to our CEO and said, do you guys have any volunteer? You guys are a B Corp. Do you have any volunteer events? So I moved a volunteer event to Saturday. So we're all going to volunteer with a bunch of Salesforce employees. So I, I, I see that they do, they live their values pretty well. And, um, you know, they get the, the one, 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 that's where pledge 1% came from that we're a member of, like they, they do a lot and they, I think they do a good job of motivating others be it by mandate or not to, to join them and kind of using capitalism as a force for good. And that's, that's the coolest part about, I mean, I have a ton of respect for what they do and kind of how they wield that, that power. So talking about this um, capitalism, conscious capitalism, triple bottom line and your route to it. I mean, you're, um, you're 39 as I hope I can share. Um, and you've done, Many, many things. I mean, you, uh, it looks like you've been up for a learning quest for the last, you know, decade or so. Uh, you started with a Bachelor of Business Administration. Actually, you come from um, a family where your, your mom, who is of German descent, uh, coming from Berlin, is a history teacher for U.S. history, which is a bit funny. Um, and your father uh, used to manage a hockey ranch where people could play hockey and you would be working there as a referee during your studies, during your school, earning, earning money. So it feels like earning money, making a living um, was something that this entrepreneurial thinking almost was something that kind of was with you in early on. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, my dad, I think I ref my first hockey game when I was 13. I mean, growing up in Miami, there's not a lot of hockey. So my dad was Mr. Hockey in Miami. Everybody, if they played hockey in Miami 
in the nineties or two thousands, they know my dad. Um, and so, yeah, I started refing like inline roller hockey at 13. I did my first adult game at 16 and, but you're making 20, 25 bucks a game for an hour. So that's how I went to Germany. When I was 16, I went to Germany. I was like, I've never been, and I'm going and I had family over there. So that's how I paid for that. Um, 17, I did the same thing. I found a baseball team in Braunschweig that was like, we'll take an exchange player, an American for the summer. So I played and I still to this day tell Germans that like, yeah, I should baseball in, in Braunschweig. And the, and the answer is always like, wir spielen baseball in Deutschland? Like nobody, nobody believes me that like, yeah, no, Germans play baseball. And the ones that do are really passionate about it. Um, it reminds me of like soccer here in the eighties where it was All like, right. with soccer, we don't yeah. play soccer. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just always, and I had that, that sense of like, anytime, like the, if a game happened and you didn't ref it, you could never make that money back. And I've, I've tried to break myself a little bit of that because it gets, that can become toxic as you get older, because then there's the, 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 the thought that you must always be working or you're always losing money. And at some point you kind of have to just be okay with that um, and take some break and recharge. So, but yeah, that was, that was um, that. Yeah. That was where it all started was refing. And and I've all, I ref till I was like 25, even when I moved to Las Vegas, I was still refing hockey. Um, and that would be at night. It was just supplemental income. You know, I had a, a job during the day, but I knew early on I wanted to do business. So I wrote a paper in like 10th grade, I think. Um, so when I was what, 15, 16 years old in high school, and I wrote a paper, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I was an international businessman and I spent uh, summers in Boston and uh, winters in Berlin. That was apparently, I don't know what I was international businessmaning. I, I have no idea, but I was going to be an international businessman. And I started taking German. So I was like, That's obviously where I'm going to be in 10 years. And I went to school. I got a business degree. I got it in three years. I immediately got a job and I was working in operations, which I don't know how that happened. I got a marketing degree and I'm working in operations. And after about a year and a half of that job, I burned out. I got promoted really quickly. and I, But I just... I literally found myself driving like half the speed limit to work one day. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't good. This isn't, I'm not happy. I'm not excited to get out of bed. I, I'm stressed out all the time and I'm 23 and I'm, I, I don't need this. So I moved to Las Vegas to play poker for a living. And that lasted like three or four months. You're, it's not that glamorous. I was never on TV. Um, you're, it's more like a lot of playing poker at three in the morning. I literally ref hockey, make a hundred bucks, go downtown, buy into a poker tournament hope to make final table, get six, 700 bucks, pay a couple bills the next day, do it all over again. I did it, but I ended up getting a job pretty quickly. I was like three, four months in. I was like, yeah, I like health insurance and, <laughs> and benefits and steady pay. So, and even then like that job, I, I worked for enterprise, the, the rental car company. And I did that for two years. I got promoted into outside sales, which was, I never, I don't want to say I never want to do sales again because any entrepreneur knows you're going to be your own salesperson, but I was very terrified. I still get kind of like, ugh, like when I think about getting hung up on or, you know, making 35 calls a day, trying to get through to a CEO or a CFO. Those are the only two people I really think had the power to buy from us. And yeah, I still, I still ugh, cringe a little bit when I remember that, but I also now realize what a great exercise that was and kind of figuring out because again, like I haven't found purpose yet in any of these jobs. I'm just kind of floundering. I don't know what I want to, you know, like, I don't know how this fits in, but I kept kind of adding skills. 
I kept adding, I was always a student of whatever I did. So when I did sales, I became a student of sales and I learned how to mirror. I learned how to talk to people. You know, I learned how to listen more than I spoke. I learned, so I learned all these traits that later on, you know, especially now in my role, when I have to go sell an idea to the C-suite, I'm really good at it. I know exactly how to sell. I know how many bullet points go on a slide. I know, you know, I know how to, I know what to put before I put the ask. So all that sales experience has, has stayed with me. And then I, 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 the biggest, most influential point in my life was when I was, I moved back to Athens, Georgia from Las Vegas end of 2011. I went back to a company I had worked for out of college at 2012 was a, was a great year, best physical shape of my life. I literally worked nine to five and that was it. Um, so I had time for networking and I had time for, you know, literally gym twice a day, um, and then January 2nd, 2013, we found out that office was going to close. And then I, so we were done at the end of January. I went to work for the company that pushed us out. That was a horrible mistake. Um, so I made it six, seven months, 80 hours a week, commuting two hours a day. And uh, they pulled me in on a Friday and, and fired me. You know, they gave me like six weeks of pay or seven. But so, and then all of a sudden now I'm like, scrambling like oh, okay what do i do you know the next thing you know i'm on unemployment and my buddy worked at enterprise now in atlanta and he goes hey you can come come back to enterprise and we we need somebody in the in the car sales department so now i find myself selling used rental cars nothing against them great company but i can't get excited about them. i'm just i'm sorry there's nothing to, I'm, I'm not like a natural salesman where i can sell you anything i'm just like it's a used rental car um it's cool like Maybe you want it. Maybe you don't. And then I sold a car to a couple and they kind of, I, I thought I had found my dream job. And so this all comes full circle back to international businessman. They want to hire me and they have an office in Stuttgart and, you know, we'll train you for two or three months here. And then we need you to go run the German office. And I'm like, all the years of keeping my German up to speed and all these years of kind of like training myself to be an executive, even though I had nothing even close to some sort of executive role. And after about a month, I realized that this was like a, it was, it was a, I don't say a lie, but it, it was, it was, it was, it was a nightmare job. It was nightmare. I hated going to work. I hated them. Like, I don't use that word a lot. I hated every aspect of my life for those two months. And I quit. I literally quit the morning of the U S Germany game in the 2014 world cup I said, I'm going to go watch soccer instead. And, and then you get into the part of my resume where you're like, Okay, so now he's driving an Uber. Okay, um, but I literally I quit that job and I didn't know what to do. And at that point, now I've seen like the worst parts of capitalism. I've seen just deceit and lies and selling things to people that don't need them. I've seen, you know, closing an office and laying off people for really no reason, and then cutting their wages when they come to work for you, like because they have no other like. And I'm just like, business is terrible. Like this is cap capitalism's awful. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, now I'm driving an Uber. And honestly, I picked up some, I was working for minimum wage at um, the convention center, just like helping set up for events. And, and I decided like, I think I'm going to get my MBA. And so I, I use that time. And again, you're still like, how do I continue to work on myself, even though I'm in this really bad place? And so I, you know, I literally would drive Uber and I would do those shifts and I would come home and study for the, the grad school exam. And I did really well on that. Next thing I know, like Uber has promoted me into doing like 
brand ambassador work and driver signups and rider signups. And, you know, now I'm like their liaison for all the drivers in Athens and, and all of a sudden now grad school starting. And it was just like this real, like, but I mean, it, it was a very, I'm, I can't talk about 2014 and pretend it was at all mentally good for me. It was, it was, but I, I think there's a, a, I think there's something very valuable. I mean, I, not that I wish it on people. I don't want anybody to go through a year like that, but there's something very valuable in, in falling really hard um, and having lofty ambitions and having to fall that hard and still remain focused on what you want out of life and remain focused on the goals you have and kind of like give yourself some time to feel some pity, but also kind of get back on the horse and go again. And so, yeah. And then I got into grad school and I was like, nope, I'm, I'm going to do something that I'm passionate about. And I took on every project I could take on. I did consulting projects. I worked on basically like what, this is my last best chance of how do I get, what do I want to do when I get out of here? And then the B Corp project pops up and, you know, most of my classmates have, we graduated in almost five years ago, and most of them have turned over two or three jobs now. And I'm still working for the same company I met in 2016, you know, cause I went to, and I finished, I started working for them before I even finished my master's degree, but I'm still working for them. I have an incredible CEO. I love Mondays, never used to love Mondays. Um, I get excited to get out of bed in the morning. Like I'm, I'm usually by Sunday at night, I'm like answering emails and it's not because I have to, it's because I'm like, I want, I, I get to work again this week. I get to do all this purpose-driven work in the world. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's cool. I'm smiling right now. So. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it's, this is really a, a, thank you for taking us through this. And it's like, what I hear from you is like, there's this, feeling that something isn't right, you know, and, and then trying to compensate this feeling with adding skills, learning something more, trying something different, again, having this funny feeling, um, and then in, in, almost like identifying that the system is broken. And um, that kind of reminds me, I, I, I know you attended a conference, um, um, the Open University, where we also had Zoe Cohen from Extinction Rebellion. And I think she She was quite impressive in her dystopic uh, picture of, of the future uh, if we don't change substantially. And I think some people left mildly depressed. Others were like shaken to do something. Um, and what I like about it that you didn't stop searching or you, you didn't settle for, okay, it is what it is. You know, I, I, you know it, I have to live with a compromise. I have to live with something that doesn't fulfill me and rather kept on searching until you found something that pointed you in a certain direction. I think that's a, that's a remarkable uh, life story of searching for something that fulfills you deeply on the inside. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the value in that, and the reason I go into the detail of that story is like, I mean, so to what I graduated Oh four. So I started working in like January of Oh five. Um, and until what, 2017 when I graduated. So I went 12 full years of, of nothing that I enjoyed doing. I mean, even enterprise, I was really good at it. Um, a really good company as far as building a skill set, but like, there's nothing exciting about getting out of bed. Like, man, I can't wait to put that, you know, somebody flying into Las Vegas. I can't wait to put them in a rental car. Like, I just can't wait. Like, man, am I, am I serving the world today? 
And it is a service that needs to be done. I just flew to Las Vegas and rented a car last year and we went all over the Southwest. It was wonderful. And thank you to that wonderful rental car agent. But what I did when I was in those jobs that I don't think I appreciated while I was there was that I took our, when I came to Ad Victorium, we had no KPIs operationally, not even talking about the B Corp stuff. Every KPI that we adopted was basically borrowed right out of the enterprise playbook. Because we used to have, man, we were drilled on those numbers and we knew the numbers, we, if we controlled them, we made money. I didn't need to really look at the revenue or the profit. I knew these numbers and if they were good, we did well. And so I took that with me later in my career and I was able to add value to a job, even when I was kind of like part-time purpose, but still kind of like, hey, help us get off the ground and running. I was able to add immense value. So yeah, that buys me a lot of political clout later in my career when I'm like, we need volunteers. We need, because they remember what I brought. But that was from enterprise. I was from a job that I was like, eh, the sales piece of being able to sell. And now that I run, you know, be local Georgia and I'm meeting people and I'm trying to convince them to become B Corps and I need to recruit projects into the university system and for my class. And, you know, we did six last semester. It's all those sales skills. It's asking the questions of like, why are you interested in B Corp? You know, it's getting them to talk and figuring out what's, what's, what are, what's motivating them. And it's all those things I picked up. And, and then I think there's just a piece of some of the failures just give you the resilience to know, like, it's going to be okay. If you have a bad day at work or something, be like, it's going to be okay. It always has been. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons I go into details. Like there, there was a lot out of those jobs that I took, you know, and as far as like always networking, you know, like, where do you want to be in 15 years? Like, are you putting, are you in that room? Are you meeting those people? Are you talking to them? If you, you know, what, are you learning their stories, their journeys? Everybody has wisdom to impart. And I still continue that to this day. Like I, I joke that, you know, I collect mentors. I, I love mentors. Like I love having that collection of people that I can reach out to and say like, I don't know what to do next. And then sure enough, they face the same diverging roads years ago. And they, they walk you right through their decision-making process. And it's like, okay. And they're not going to tell you what to do, but they'll at least help you. So I think, I think it's important to, to kind of embrace your past and, but look forward to your future and know what you want out of, you know, you might not know exactly what you want. I don't know that this is what I thought I wanted out of life, but the purpose was the purpose was, I don't know that the career, I, I didn't know what a P-Corp was. So how could I have known this? Exactly. And um, so what I, what I find interesting is that you say, even though you didn't enjoy each particular step along the way, each particular step along the way taught you something that formed a golden thread that you can only understand looking backwards and where you kind of collected skills along the way that come in useful now. And I mean, what else, it also seems like this B Corp approach or this, this conscious capitalism is nothing kind of fluffy, do goodish kind of thing. It's just applying the same rigorous management principles on something that is actually good for the world. So it's like combining, merging kind of two things, like a maybe philosophical view, how we should treat the world and management practices, like uh, energy flows where attention goes kind of thing um, to bring that together. And uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, and, and, and using that business, you know, I mean, I did, I, I did work a lot in operations. Um, I know about efficiencies. I know how to, you know, you know, do more with less, and so I look at the, the B Corp thing, A, because I'm so passionate about the value system, but B, because I wanted to succeed. 
so part of my mission too is is I think there's room for the maybe the more fluffy people that are you know, but there's also room for me because I'm trying to prove this is our our one great chance to prove to the world that this works. So doing it efficiently, helping helping our company scale and helping. So people are like, oh yeah, it's really nice. There's a bunch of social enterprise. You're like, okay, we were at eight. Now we're at 150. We'll probably be at 200 this year. Like we've grown exponentially, but we've got these great guardrails where we can sleep well at night knowing that we're not, we're not doing anything unethical. We're treating our people well. And now I can also make the case to potential B Corps that not only are we doing well, it's good for business. We're recruiting people, like especially when we're recruiting from universities. Those the Gen Z is all about this. Like, so when they find out you're a B Corp, they actually know what a B Corp is. And they want, they're like, oh, I wanted to work for you. I had somebody at work the other day tell me that like the last six interviews she's done with candidates, they've mentioned, she asked, why do you want to work for us? I saw that you're a B Corp. Wow. So I'm now I'm now able to take a lot of this and put together a business use case for businesses of like, hey, it's recruitment, it's retention, it's branding, it's all these things kind of interwoven. And if you do them well, and I'd like to think I'd, I'd like to think I've done a lot of that well of telling our story, um, telling you know, writing marketing content, writing blog posts, building community that I've 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 built a good case to business owners to say like this is a great community and it's going to be good for your business. So come along for the ride. And what is also interesting is that there is kind of the external purpose of an organization and there's kind of the internal purpose. So external purpose, Greenpeace, save the world, ocean cleanup project, clean up the oceans, enterprise, sell or rent out rental cars, right? And then there is the internal purpose, which is kind of how you work together, how you include people, how you pay people. And what I find interesting is that I mean, Salesforce consultancy doesn't sound like saving the world on the first, you know, on, on face value, um, but you or your organization kind of has mastered that topic of internal purpose, which all of a sudden makes people want to belong to something that even though it's only Salesforce consulting, which is nothing bad, but it's also maybe not directly saving the planet, but they want it because it's kind of, it's fair, it's humane, it's doing it in a way that is sustainable and, and contributes to maybe future generations. Yeah, I think so. hundred. I mean, and I think that there's that, you know, because there is more to the B Corp certification than, you know, just the environmental piece or the social mission pieces. There's that, you know, the transparency piece, you know, there's the, the legitimate CEO policy where the door is always open and we, we value feedback and we, we know that we're young and we're growing and we don't have all the answers. So, uh, you know, building that into the culture beyond just like, you know, we actually had a, a brief period where our recruiting team was talking about B Corp as if like it was work-life balance. So people were getting here like, oh, I thought I worked like 32 hours. Like, no, 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 no. We still do consulting. It's still long work. It's still, we don't want you to work 60, but you might work 45. Um, but making sure too that we're aligning like what we're what we value and how we value it with you know I'm a big firm believer in that like there's a there's a gap there's always going to be a gap between perception and you know what you actually think you are and what your employees tell you you are so I think the biggest thing too is actually listening like what do your employees value what do they want what are they what are they telling you like our annual survey like last year we don't get enough PTO 
cool. Done. Unlimited PTO started January 1st. Like what's PTO? Sorry. Uh, paid time off vacation okay. time holiday. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so yeah. So like, but going through little exercises like that of like, you know, don't assume, you know, what your people want. Don't assume that, 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 that they're motivated by the same things you are Ask them. ask them, do surveys, ask them. And then, and then deliver when you listen, make sure you deliver. Cause otherwise they'll stop telling you. But if you, if you listen and you tell them you heard them and here's the new implementation, new policy we're implementing, you, you build a lot of trust, a lot of trust with your team. And, and I think there's, you know, it goes into that B Corp ethos of like, okay, like they are about this. They are like, they do value what they say they value. That's amazing. And you, you not only work at Advectorium in this, in this role, you're meanwhile also a chapter host, is that right? Or a chapter, chapter manager? Advisor, yeah. Chapter advisor of uh, B, B Local Georgia, right? Yeah. And you're also part of B Academics because you're now, drum roll, you're also a lecturer at the university around the entire topic of B Corp, which is, I wasn't aware that there's any of such a curriculum in, in Germany. What do you teach there? So I teach a course on B Corps. And I know, and I know it doesn't resonate with everybody in Germany, but that's my wall of Georgia um, behind me. Um, we're, well, we're celebrating a recent championship, first one in 41 years. So it's been, it's been quite the party here for the last couple of weeks, but yeah, I, I started last fall teaching at my, you know, double alma mater um, was pretty cool. I'd always helped on those projects. It's kind of like the local guy that could volunteer some time. And then a professor retired who was, who was running those projects. So we've, we've revamped the class. I actually do three lectures before they get their projects. They get a whole lecture about Milton Friedman from me. Um, they get a lecture on greenwashing. And I try to play devil's advocate a little bit and remind them that sometimes good things come out of greenwashing. Um, even if they're not for good purposes, it, it, it changes the conversation. So we do that. And then, yeah. And then through B local Georgia, I started that in 2018 and we had like eight B corps in the state. I think we have, I'm waiting for one to find formally announce that they certified. I know they've certified. Then we'll be at 18. Um, and then I joined B Academics this year, which is a global network of, of, of primarily professors that teach B Corp curriculum or that or do research around it. And even though I'm not a, you know, I'm not a PhD, um, I, they had a committee chair opening for um, B Local Engagement. And I'm like, okay, so I run B Local Georgia. <laughs> and I know a lot of the B Locals just through that work. And I do teach a class so that therefore I am an academic. So I figured why not be, so that's why I said earlier, I was like that, that I know there's a B local chapter in Berlin. It's like, how do I get, you know, um, universities around the world beyond just my state to start offering this so that when you look at like, could I certify my business? I don't know. Could you put it for free in a university program and have some students work on it and at least help you get better? Um, so those types of things. So, yeah, so those are some of my, my, and then I, I'm on like two more nonprofit boards and I'm, I'm a glutton for service. I was going to say punishment, but I, I love, I love to serve. And if there's a need, I, 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 I did say no to one this year. I did say no to one nonprofit board. I didn't have enough time, but other than that, I, I try to, um, serve if I can, if I have the time and, and, and I feel like I can make an impact then let's do it. It feels like you found your purpose after a lot of searching externally and soul searching internally. So, so that's great. Um, Nathan, what's next for you? 
really, uh, I, I have a lot of ambitious goals this year to, to really scale, be local Georgia. Um, not that I, I make any money off of my nonprofit getting bigger. So, um, but to me, it's about building that community. And, you know, we did a conference a couple of years ago that was a regional, like Southeastern United States, because we don't have the numbers that like a, that Portland or a New York City or so like we need to form like a big region. So I want to continue to, to build those relationships, too, and make sure that we're cultivating. We should be working together. We should be supporting each other. We should be referring each other to potential new clients. We should we need to be in this together and form like this collective voice too. Cause I think there's something unique. The South is still looked at as like this backwards kind of like, I mean, whatever, all the stereotypes people think of like Georgia, like we're playing like a banjo. And <laughs> um, so, you know, giving that collective voice of collective Southern voice of like the new South um, and what it stands for and, and being about diversity and inclusion and being about um, capitalism works for everybody is, is to me front and center. And, and yeah, I mean, I have a big university ecosystem to fuel as well. So there's a lot of lead gen that's going to happen this year, generating new companies that want to go in. I mean, I figure I need, between the three universities we're currently running and then the ones I'd like to get into, I probably want to, I probably need 20 projects this year and university of Alabama next door to us wants projects. And so, yeah, really just scaling the ecosystem and then, and then figuring out like, where's that next opportunity for me, um, you know, continuing to work with Advic, but you know, also is, is there some consulting work I can be doing? Um, I've done some in the past, you know, is, is, could I, could I continue to grow that? And then, you know, obviously continuing to teach at the university. And and honestly, this year for me, I love doing the podcasts, but hopefully getting some some um, in-person paid speaking engagements around this subject. And I, you know, even the purpose story took me a while to overcome that. Why would people want to hear my story? And I recorded that. I recorded a, a full speech about that. And I, I think I've sent it to four people. <laughs> And that was back in November. And I'm like, I don't, ugh. and everybody I've sent it to is like, man, that's like for somebody in my, you know, they're all in their mid twenties. That's figuring out what I want out of life. That's very powerful. And I was like, oh, cool. So I, I'm probably going to do something with that and working on a book around that kind of that topic too, of like the, the career advice. I think most career advice is still very traditional, you know, like, especially at university, it's like, oh, here are the companies that recruit from the university of Georgia you interview, you, you take a job. It doesn't really matter what you want to do. You get a job and they don't really know what to do with the students like me who are like, but I don't want to work for that company. I want to work. I want to do this. So I think there's a, there's a niche there. So anyway, uh, long story short, uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. And what I also like is rather than looking for a chair at a table where you could sit, it looks like you're creating your own table and your own set of chairs uh, because it's not there, right? So it needs to be created. So that's, I, th I think that's pretty cool. And um, maybe just to make sure that we mention or close with this as well is B Corp is not just a US thing, even it is started in the US. It's the biggest global network of companies who want to do good. Is that fair to say, Nathan? Yeah, I think now we're at, there's 4,500 worldwide. And I believe it's in like, a hundred in like 110 countries and like 170 different industries. So I there's think, 400 yeah. in Europe. We just looked up the biggest country being UK and there's 40 in Germany. So it's, it's getting, it's becoming a thing. 
Yes. Yeah. Cause I remember when I came over in January of 20, I was looking at, um, you know, spending some time in Berlin and I was looking like, are there any B Corps that I could like have a beer with or have lunch with? And so I've always, I will always try to meet B Corps when I travel. So, um, and I missed a B local Berlin meeting by two days, but I figured my family in, um, in Dresden would not be happy if I skipped their, <laughs> my visit so that I could go network. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's growing globally. It's grown in Germany. I think there were like 20 when I looked two years ago and there's 40 now. So it's almost doubled in Germany and, uh, yeah, it's gonna, I think it's gonna keep, I don't see how it won't. I, I don't, I don't know how companies can survive with, with this next generation of workers and consumers entering the marketplace and really shopping, voting, working with their values. If, if you're not on board and you're not authentically on board, I think you're going to get left behind. That would be a great closing statement. And we have one question that we always ask, which is, Nathan, what's the one thing that I haven't asked you yet? Oh, why didn't I do the interview in German? Um, it's too rusty. Uh, <laughs> it would have taken three hours for me to think through my thoughts. Wir können ja nur um, Deutsch sprechen. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I think, again, I told you before this, this, this question was going to stump me, and I thought about it last night, and I still stumped me. Um, I guess maybe, like, where does the passion come from? Okay, cool question. So where does it come from, Nathan? I went through an exercise with a, a actually it wasn't even a friend. It was somebody I had my first call ever with him. It was 30 minutes. It went an hour and a half. And next thing I felt like I was uh, uh, in the therapist's office, like laying down on the sofa. And, uh, and by the end of it, we got to a, uh, we got to kind of the, the juxtaposition of it all. And it was, it was like a lack of respect that in all these jobs, I had had these ideas and kind of never really been listened to. And so I had this weird chip on my shoulder that was looking for respect. And I was just, I was always trying to get, I felt slighted all the time and I want to, and it was a, it was a really interesting exercise and it started to give me a whole backstory to my why of like, I've been pushing myself harder and harder looking for respect. And I think knowing that though also grounds you because like, I am respect, like, you know what I mean? I don't like starting to kind of come to grips with kind of that, I think, but I think that's driven a lot of my work is, is like, that that desire to be seen as a thought leader and that desire to be seen as somebody who can who can bring everybody together and who has good ideas and who makes good decisions but it was a really interesting exercise to go through where i wouldn't have known that answer three weeks ago and now it's kind of an interesting um thing to self-awareness again always be always be learning always be growing um but yeah i'd say that that was a good bit of my driver that i don't think i ever appreciated that's pretty cool and i think there's this there's this thing of being being respected by whom, right? And do we want ex respect from somebody else? And I think the ultimate goal as you grow as a, as a human being um, is at the end of the day that you give respect to yourself, right? That you are the first one, your first fan, your first supporter um, that creates autonomy. And you've, you've chosen a path in your life where it was not mainstream, it was not following a common theme like mainstream, like everybody does. You kind of created it, tried, changed, pivoted, did again, up, down. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, as you mentioned, resilience, right? I mean, this has probably taught you a lot about respecting yourself, respecting your inner voice, telling you 
ah, still doesn't feel good. I'm still not fulfilled. Yeah, I, know, I had a really good mentor last year tell me too. That was my 2021 goal, my biggest goal of the year. He said, practice giving yourself your own admiration, your own praise. Because I would always like, I wouldn't get it from a boss or something. I'd be like, man, they don't respect, you know, I was like, they, you know, what? it's like, and I, that, that exercise last year has been invaluable to, to self-growth of, of going like you do, you know, taking time to reflect too and saying, you've done a great job here. Even if you're telling yourself that, because then after a while you do start to believe it and you can start to look back on what you've done and go, yeah, I am doing a great job. And maybe they don't vocalize it, but I know that I'm still on the payroll for a reason. Like, you know, like I am respected. I am doing good work, but I had to get through that exercise too, of also learning to just tell myself that of like, Hey, like you're, you're, you're doing, you're doing great. Um, and keep, keep working. Cause I think that's an important thing people forget to do is they work, 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 work. And by the end of the year, you're like, did I accomplish anything? So I think periodic check-ins to say, what have I accomplished? How am I doing again? Hold yourself accountable, but also give yourself some praise. Like, man, you knocked off 90% of that to-do list you made. Now, this is a very cool closing statement. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, thank you for taking us on the journey through your life and your your quest for, for purpose. And I mean, this is, this is uh, not finished by no means. So I'm very curious how this further unfolds and uh, maybe our path will cross again when we finally decide to do the B Corp certification, we'll be certainly be in touch uh, because we will have tons of questions and need some support. I will. Yeah. Well, we, sounds like we need to have an in-person meeting. <laughs> Absolutely, Nathan. Thank you so much. All the best to you and keep in touch. Awesome, Carson. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Nathan Stuck, ladies and gentlemen. Um, would have been interesting to record this in, in German, but we will definitely catch up when he comes to Germany next time. Um, so what are your thoughts? Um, when you are running a business, would that be something that you uh, can envision for your own business to go through this? Would that make sense? Would that connect to your inner values? If you are working as an employee for a company, would you like to work for such a company? Would that make a difference to you? Um, would it be worth searching for them? Um, so again, I'm very interested in your views. Um, please share them with me via email or via LinkedIn. You can reach me under karsten.dreth at leadership-choices.com. And uh, please don't forget to uh, rate this episode of Leaders Talk uh, on the different platforms that you're using. It helps us to climb the rank and it helps us to attract uh, more and more interesting people um, internationally even. So that you do us a favor and you actually do yourself a favor. So please, if you haven't done that, um, give us a good ranking, a fair ranking, and that, uh, that helps us going forward. With that, I wish you all the best. Stay healthy and see you next time at Leaders Talk. Bye for now. This was an episode of Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world, powered by Leadership Choices. If you want to give us feedback, please send an email to leaderstalk at leadershipchoices.com. Thank you for listening.